section 63 of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Story, Volume 13, The United States, edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 63. The Great Lincoln-Douglas Debate, 1858, by Francis Grierson. It was the 15th day of October, 1858. Crowds were pouring into Alton. For some days, people had been arriving by the steam packets from up and down the river, the upboats from St. Louis bringing visitors with long black hair, goatees, and stolid Indian-like faces, slave owners and slave dealers. From the human marts of Missouri and Kentucky, the northern visitors arriving by boat or rail, abolitionists and Republicans, with a cast of features distinctly different from the types coming from the South. They came from villages, townships, the prairies, from all the adjoining counties, from across the Mississippi, from faraway cities, from representative societies north and south, from congressional committees in the east, from leading journals of all political parties, and from every religious denomination within hundreds of miles, filling the broad space in front of the town hall, eager to see and hear the now-famous debaters, the popular Stephen A. Douglas, United States Senator, nicknamed the Little Giant, and plain Abraham Lincoln, nicknamed the Rail Splitter. The great debate had begun on the 21st of August at another town, and today the long-discussed subject would be brought to a close. Douglas stood for the doctrine that slavery was nationalized by the Constitution, that Congress had no power to prevent its introduction in the new territories like Kansas and Nebraska, and that the people of each state could alone decide whether they should be slave states or free. Lincoln opposed the introduction of slavery into the new territories. On this memorable day, the irrepressible conflict predicted by Seward actually began, and it was brooded about that Lincoln would be mobbed or assassinated if he repeated here the words he used in some of his speeches delivered in the northern part of the state. From the surging sea of faces, thousands of anxious eyes gazed upward at the group of politicians on the balcony, like wrecked mariners scanning the horizon for the smallest sign of a white sail of hope. The final debate resembled a duel between two men of war the pick of a great fleet, all but those two sunk or abandoned in other waters. Facing each other in the open, the little giant hurling at his opponent from his flagship of slavery the deadliest missiles, Lincoln calmly waiting to sink his antagonist by one simple broadside. Alton had seen nothing so exciting since the assassination of Lovejoy, the fearless abolitionist, many years before. In the earlier discussions, Douglas seemed to have the advantage. A past master in tact and audacity, skilled in the art of rhetorical skirmishing, he had no equal on the stump, while in the Senate he was feared by the most brilliant debaters for his ready wit and his dashing eloquence. Regarded in the light of historical experience, reasoned about in the light of spiritual reality, and from the point of view that nothing can happen by chance, it seemed as if Lincoln and Douglas were predestined to meet side by side in this discussion, and unless I dwell in detail on the mental and physical contrast the speakers presented, it would be impossible to give an adequate idea of the startling differences in the two temperaments. Douglas, short, plump, and petulant. Lincoln, long, gaunt, and self-possessed. The one white-haired and florid, the other black-haired and swarthy. The one educated and polished, the other unlettered and primitive. Douglas had the assurance of a man of authority. Lincoln had moments of deep mental depression often bordering on melancholy, yet controlled by a fixed, and I may say, predestined will, for it can no longer be doubted that without the marvelous blend of humor and stolid patience, 
so conspicuous in his character lincoln's genius would have turned to madness after the defeat of the northern army at bull run and the world would have had something like a repetition of napoleon's fate after the burning of moscow lincoln's humor was the balance pole of his genius that enabled him to cross the most giddy heights without losing his head judge douglas opened the debate in a sonorous voice plainly heard throughout the assembly and with a look of mingled defiance and confidence he marshalled his facts and deduced his arguments to the vigor of his attack there was added the prestige of the senate chamber and for some moments it looked as if he would carry the majority with him a large portion of the crowd being pro-slavery men while many others were on the fence waiting to be persuaded at last after a great oratorical effort he brought his speech to a close amidst the shouts and yells of thousands of admirers and now abraham lincoln the man who in eighteen thirty undertook to split from mrs nancy miller four hundred rails for every yard of brown jeans dyed with walnut bark that would be required to make him a pair of trousers the flat boatman local stump speaker and country lawyer rose from his seat stretched his long bony limbs upward as if to get them into working order and stood like some solitary giant on a lonely summit very tall very dark very gaunt and very rugged his swarthy features stamped with a sad serenity and the instant he began to speak the ungainly mouth lost its heaviness the half listless eyes attained a wondrous power and the people stood bewildered and breathless under the natural magic of the strangest most original personality known to the english-speaking world since robert burns there were other very tall and dark men in the heterogeneous assembly but not one who resembled the speaker every movement of his long muscular frame denoted inflexible earnestness and a something issued forth elemental and mystical that told what the man had been what he was and what he would do in the future there were moments when he seemed all legs and feet and again he appeared all head and neck yet every look of the deep-set eyes every movement of the prominent jaw every wave of the hard-gripping hand produced an impression and before he had spoken twenty minutes the conviction took possession of thousands that here was the prophetic man of the present and the political savior of the future judges of human nature saw at a glance that a man so ungainly so natural so earnest and so forcible had no place in his mental economy for the thing called vanity douglas had been theatrical and scholarly but this tall homely man was creating by his very looks what the brilliant lawyer and experienced senator had failed to make people see and feel the little giant had assumed striking attitudes played tricks with his flowing white hair mimicking the airs of authority with patronizing allusions but these affectations usually so effective when he addressed an audience alone went for nothing when brought face to face with realities lincoln had no genius for gesture and no desire to produce a sensation the failure of senator douglas to bring conviction to critical minds was caused by three things a lack of logical sequence in argument a lack of intuitional judgment and a vanity that was caused by too much intellect and too little heart douglas had been arrogant and vehement lincoln was now logical and penetrating the little giant was a living picture of ostentatious vanity from every feature of lincoln's face there radiated the calm inherent strength that always accompanies power he relied on no props with a pride sufficient to protect his mind and a will sufficient to defend his body he drank water when douglas with all his wit and rhetoric could begin or end nothing without stimulants here then was one man out of all the millions who believed in himself who did not consult with others about what to say who never for a moment respected the opinion of men who preached a lie my old friend don piat 
in his personal impressions of lincoln whom he knew well and greatly esteemed declares him to be the homeliest man he ever saw but serene confidence and self-poise can never be ugly what thrilled the people who stood before abraham lincoln on that day was the sight of a being who in all his actions and habits resembled themselves gentle as he was strong fearless as he was honest who towered above them all in that psychic radiance that penetrates in some mysterious way every fibre of the hearer's consciousness the enthusiasm created by douglas was wrought out of smart epigram thrusts and a facile superficial eloquence he was a match for the politicians born within the confines of his own intellectual circle witty brilliant cunning and shallow his weight in the political balance was purely materialistic his scales of justice tipped to the side of cotton slavery and popular passions while the man who faced him now brought to the assembly cold logic in place of wit frankness in place of cunning reasoned will and judgment in place of chicanery and sophistry lincoln's presence infused into the mixed and uncertain throng something spiritual and supernormal his looks his words his voice his attitude were like a magical essence dropped into the seething cauldron of politics reacting against the foam calming the surface and letting the people see to the bottom it did not take him long is it not a false statementship he asked that undertakes to build up a system of policy upon the basis of caring nothing about the very thing that everybody does care the most about judge douglas may say he cares not whether slavery is voted up or down but he must have a choice between a right thing and a wrong thing he contends that whatever community wants slaves has a right to have them so they have if it is not a wrong but if it is a wrong he cannot say people have a right to do wrong he says that upon the score of equality slaves should be allowed to go into a new territory like other property this is strictly logical if there is no difference between it and other property if it and other property are equal his argument is entirely logical but if you insist that one is wrong and the other right there is no use to institute a comparison between right and wrong this was the broadside the great duel on the high seas of politics was over the douglas ship of state sovereignty was sinking the debate was a triumph that would send lincoln to washington as president in a little more than two years from that date people were fascinated by the gaunt figure in long loose garments that seemed like a huge skeleton in clothes attracted by the homely face and mystified yet proud of the fact that a simple denizen of their own soil should wield so much power when lincoln sat down douglas made one last feeble attempt at an answer but lincoln in reply to a spectator who manifested some apprehension as to the outcome rose and spreading out his great arms at full length like a condor about to take wing exclaimed with humorous indifference oh let him go it these were the last words he uttered in the greatest debate of the antebellum days the victor bundled up his papers and withdrew the assembly shouting hurrah for abe lincoln as next president bully for old abe lincoln forever excited crowds followed him about reporters caught his slightest word and by night-time the bar-rooms hotels street corners and prominent stores were filled with his admirers fairly intoxicated with the exciting triumph of the day End of section sixty three